the affair spoke less about Nikki's relationship with Bill and more about Nikki's relationship with herself and with the compound and the upbringing that she had had. And these feelings that she had for this man was the first time that she questioned the way that she had been brought up. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and it was just a little bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, Become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode bonuses, curated playlists, movie reviews, and much, much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be wrapping up the saga of the Henriksen family with the second half of our recap of Big Love. Big Love gave us a cast of layered, complex characters, all firmly living in shades of gray, and in large part, allowed us to make up our minds about who were the heroes and who were the villains. While the lives that Bill and his wives lived were by no means perfect, the beauty of this series is in how well it embraces each character's imperfections. Alex and I have so much more to say on how the strong writing and acting on this show made it so great to watch and rewatch. Stay tuned. So just a brief recap, if you didn't join us for our last episode on Big Love, go ahead and check that episode out if you haven't already. But Big Love is a drama and a family drama created by Mark V. Olson and William Sheffer. It aired on HBO from March 12, 2006 to March 20, 2011, running for five seasons and a total of 53 episodes. It stars Bill Paxton as Bill Henriksen. Jean Triplehorn as Barbara Henriksen, his first wife, Chloe Sevigny as Nicolette Grant, his second wife, and Jennifer Goodwin as Marjean Heffman, his third wife. So let's jump right back in. We are on season three. Seasons one and two were definitely pretty explosive. I'm continually impressed by how much the writers of this show can pack into not just one season, but one single episode without making audiences feel overwhelmed, at least not me. So let's jump right into season three and some of the major plots and subplots of season three. Season three is really, really great. Something that sort of, I think, can potentially put like a viewer off about Big Love is that the first two seasons don't really are 
really just trying to sort of like establish this world. So you don't really have this, um, I think, indictment of uh, the compound or the compound life or or polygamy in general. In season three, I think, is when we start to see, um, uh, is when the show, you know, goes for it. or And I think, and I think really starts to go for it in terms of um, making, not necessarily making a judgment, but definitely um, pointing out the flaws and I think I think the unequal power dynamics and and um, all the sort of things that are icky um, about this whole thing in season three uh, going forward. Mm. I felt a little bit differently. I actually think seasons one and two were absolutely showing us certain things in the compound that were wrong, um, that were unsavory. What I felt seasons one and two failed to do was indict mainstream polygamists like Don and Bill. And what I liked about season three is that I felt that that indictment of that lifestyle, how unsustainable it was, and how much Bill's wives um, compromised, sacrificed, and suffered actually started to become clear in season three. Um, I think this is why season three, one of the many reasons why it's my favorite season. Yeah, I was about to say season three is probably my favorite season as well. Um, not mostly because I think season three very much, uh, while still like, um, you know, while still looking at Bill's story and, and what Bill's doing, I think season three definitely takes a shift and focuses more heavily on, on their, on his wives. So, um, and other women like Margine's, um, friend, um, across the street. So automatically just from that, that, uh, makes it more interesting. Let's kick it off with like, Nikki has this like affair plot. Right. This was one of the major plots, subplots of season three. So Albie had Roman arrested when Joey and Adelaide tried to bring him home at the end of season two. In season three, he is in prison and Nikki is roped into helping him by her equally manipulative mother, Adelaide. Nikki gets a job a part-time job. She tells the family, it's later revealed, she told the family that she's working in the clerk's office to make some extra money and repay her debts. Because initially what happened is that when Bill found out that she had all this debt, he paid it off for her, which was using the family money to do so. Instead of actually working at the clerk's office, like she said, she is working part-time at the DA's office and using Marjean's name um, working under Marjane, the name of Marjane Heffman. We later learn in passing, her passing communication with another woman, that there is another undercover polygamist at the office doing the same thing, another Roman Grant disciple. And she's basically working to undermine the DA's case, find out who all the witnesses are against Roman, and basically get them to back off in one way or another. And while working there, she falls for her boss, Ray, um, who is played by the actor, I forget his name, but he's best known as um, portraying Deacon Claiborne from Nashville. Right. Um, I, too, also just know him as Deacon from Nashville. <laughs> um, uh, right. But so 
Something that is really, really, really interesting about the Nikki plot, it's it's used like a sort of, I guess, in a sort of two-pronged sense. On another show like this, it would be very easy for a plot like this to just be about moving moving the plot forward in terms of, you know, Nikki's at the CDA's office so that she can, you know, do crime and, and undermine, you know, this, you know, for the Roman Grant character and, and so on and so forth. But um, they use this affair as a way to, I think, really illuminate several aspects of the Nikki character, which is fascinating and, once again, so masterful. So... Nikki falls, yeah, headfirst in love with her boss, and the feelings are mutual. And first time that we really see Nikki, I think, really becoming her own person, finally, really, truly feeling like she could fit in to this mainstream world. Because we have Nikki, I think, before trying to fit in or like play acting to fit in when she she goes to Wayne's school you know she dresses up in her very best like suburban uh bitch mom clothes and she tries I think to be friends with other moms and it it doesn't work out because well we all know that they're like you know because naturally they're like politics when it comes to making friends with other mothers and and in your children's school in regards to, have you gone to the PTA meetings? Did you, you know, work the last fall festival, blah, 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 rah, 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 shock and bah. But, um, so it doesn't go well for her. So we sort of see her retreat again into herself, but with working at this DA's office, um, falling in love with Ray, like we, I think we see like a whole new side to Nikki. And not only do we see a whole new side to Nikki, we learn more information about, what she wanted, what she wanted for herself. She's truly vulnerable with, with Ray in a way that she's not necessarily with Bill. Um, I think Nikki performs um, submissiveness and she performs vulnerable vulnerability for Bill. Um, but, but like I said, she performs it. But with this affair with Ray, it's, it's very real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's let's retract a little bit. When Alex is using the word affair, please don't don't think that Nikki was sleeping with this man. She never slept with Ray. Um, it was a largely emotional affair, but it had all of the repercussions, both personally and for her family, as a physical affair. If we're right. being very honest, yeah, he only um, got like a cute little kiss. Oh, it was a very passionate kiss. That's Remember when she tried to quit? Yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, girl. Okay. And she kissed him. She kissed him. Like there was um, tongue. It was that's a lot for Nikki. That that is a lot. Um so what I thought was interesting about this affair was that for me, the affair spoke less about Nikki's relationship with Bill and more about Nikki's relationship with herself and with the compound and the upbringing that she had had. And these feelings that she had for this man was the first time that she questioned the way that she had been brought up. Um, because you'll remember, I believe it was in either season one or two, when they redrafted the wills, there was a period where Nikki actually considered um, having her children raised on the compound if she and Bill should die. That's 
you know, what a, a loyal relationship she'd had with the place that she'd been raised. But in rethinking this relationship, rethinking the relationship to the compound, to her father, um, and even to the principal, we see a very different side of Nikki, the, the side that we know has always been there, this emotionally repressed, stunted um, girl who's hiding behind the brave face. And we see all of the pain and the repressed hurt really rush to the surface in her interactions with Ray, where, as Alex said, she doesn't feel like she has to perform for him. I feel like Nikki doesn't just perform, I'm not sure if she performs submissiveness, but she definitely performs, um, or she performs submissiveness, but she, I'm not sure if she performs vulnerability. But one thing that really strikes me is that in her interactions with Ray, she's also, um, does it doesn't have to be accountable to, and she's nor is she in competition with any other women. And whether she expresses this or not, it's very clear that Nikki and all the wives to some extent feel the burden of being accountable to each other and being in competition with each other. And she doesn't have that when she's with Ray. She can just be herself without two other people in the woodwork or waiting in the wings, which I think is a huge burden lifted in her interactions with a man. I was going to say, I just think this is the, since this is the first time she has ever gotten to interact with a man without it being everybody else's business, I think is a big deal. Cause being raised on the compound, you don't have one mother, you have a bunch of mothers. She had a bunch of sisters too. She's Raymond, Roman Grant's eighth daughter. Then she comes into this relationship where there's already another uh, one wife and there's another one following closely behind. When has Nikki ever had a one-on-one -on -one interaction with any man? Even her own brother, Albie, tells everything to his wife, Laura. I I think she represses things, but I don't think she's that, like, emotionally dumb. Um, uh, I think she... Because I do think she sees other people... She, she, Nikki is an observant person, and I do think she probably sees other people, particularly if, like, they're not living the principle, and she wonders, like what that is or like what's that feeling that could make you go against something that she believes like brings you closer to God or whatever. That's what makes this affair like really great and like sort of illuminating is that like, I guess she's like feeling it for the first time because I don't think particularly like with regards to Bill and something that we'll get to when we talk about season four and five about Bill being this like, charismatic figure and, and Nikki really believing that he could be the prophet is this person that I think she has a loyalty to and feels a lot for and and loves in the sense of um you know celestial love or whatever but I don't think she's in love with him and I don't think she had ever been in love with him and I think it is significant that she falls in love with Ray um and um, is in love with him and in love and feeling what it's like to be in love for herself for the first time. Part of what makes Ray so charismatic, and we'll see that later on, is that he is much more gracious with her and much more forgiving of her, we see later on, than the men that she's accustomed to. And I think um, all of that is very, very appealing for Nikki. But she definitely blossoms. There's a very, very um, rough road there, right? When she's having this emotional affair and she feels intense guilt and even tries to quit. But I feel like once she like has walked that very rough road, having this emotional affair 
in large part made her a better person. Absolutely. Um, definitely. So how this sort of, um, it doesn't completely resolve because Ray is even mentioned into the later, there is like a mention of Ray in like, I think season four, not season five, but definitely in season four. So, and let's be clear, like Nikki is like undermining an investigation. She's, I mean, she's full on just doing banana nut stuff, but well, her and Ray like do go out on a date. Um, it's very sweet uh, and it does resolve, but it resolves in the way that he, like we said, so Nikki is using Marjean's name and she, and she does quit. Um, and Ray is, is devastated and he, she shows up to Marge's house and Marjean has found out by now. So from a personal standpoint, I am someone who very much enjoys uh, fresh cut flowers, um, and I love it when people buy me flowers. Um, it's just that, like, if people buy me like that cheap ass like one eight hundred flower shit, that's when I know that like you're like you're full of bullshit. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, Ray shows up with this incredible, very expensive looking, like huge bouquet of like fresh cut flowers. We're talking local florist, drove to their local airport, uh, probably fresh off some flower farm in Holland or, um, <laughs> or, uh, or, uh, Lyon or some, some country overnight. I mean, there's, I don't know how, like, better I can describe them to you. Like, they really are very spectacular. They definitely look like they costed upwards of, like, 150 I would say to two, $220. So like he was not messing around. Um, but he comes to her place with these flat, with these gorgeous flowers and, you know, he wants to talk to her. Um, and cause you know, he loves her and, the, and like shit blows the up, like it blows, blows up. Um, but something significant about the scene and something that like Bill finds out, Barb finds out, like, I mean, they're finding out like on the street, like in front of where they live. It's been, it's nuts. And it's, a, and it's an amazing scene, but something that's extremely significant about it is, um, you know, when Bill is sort of calling Nikki back, like Nikki, I think he even says like, Nikki, come here. Nikki looks at him and she looks at Ray, who is already across the street getting into his car. And Nikki crosses the street. <laughs> she doesn't even, um, she doesn't even like pay Bill any mind, which is so significant because we know, and, and I think speaks to a huge, I think, shift in her character that we'll, that we'll see in, in later seasons, because we know that, you know, if Nikki does nothing else, she um, is obedient. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it can be seen as obedience. I always, I think Bill sticks with Nikki because he knows at the end of the day, whereas Barb and Marge might be shaken 
or have moments of doubt on whether the principle is the right thing, Nikki won't because she was raised in this, right? Like she's going to be a writer for the principle or whatever. And I think this is the first time when he realized like she might not be as, um, as down for the cause as I thought. Right. Cause she just, she literally runs after Ray. You guys, he's about to get in his car and she's like, no, please don't leave. Like it was a lot. And this was in broad daylight. Um, and Bill is watching this. Barb is watching this. Marjean is watching this. And we've never, ever seen um, her express that sort of vulnerability with Bill. She likes to keep a stiff upper lip when it comes to the family. And she's just so crazy in love with this man. But as Alex said, they had a few dates, but like that, it was destined to fail because it was built on a lie. She's in his office playing spy. He doesn't even know her real name. On this episode, when she chases after him, that's when he learns that she is Roman Grant's daughter. Marjean is the woman that they met at the clerk's office that day when Marjean came to pick her up for lunch. And Barb is a whole other woman and that they're all married to Bill. And at this point, she puts herself and Bill in a really bad situation because then he becomes convinced for a while that Bill put her up to this, right? The whole family feels like they can't trust Nikki. And this is the most untrustworthy thing she's ever done, to, according to them, even um, in comparison to like those huge um, shopping debts that she had wrapped up. This is the first time when we feel like she's really not in this marriage. <laughs> Right, absolutely, which is so significant. And to the show's credit, I think on another show, you would have Ray forgive Nikki and be like, well, girl, I know you did all this crazy shit that it's super legal and, you know, and was like, and, you know, you cost me this trial, which was like a huge hit to, to my career as a DA. But, you know, I still love you. Let's be together. On an, I think another show would have done that. Um, Big Love does not do that. Big Love holds Nikki accountable. Um, and that is so significant. Um, I think particularly today, because, I don't know, there's this trend on TV shows now where, like, we don't hold white women accountable anymore, which is fascinating to me. The Big Love holds Nikki accountable. She, Nikki has to deal with the fallout. You know, Ray does not forgive her. Ray um, acts, I think, like, we always talk about how we want people to act, and Ray is like, I loved you, and I feel things for you. And, and you know, Ray is very gracious to her in that, you know, he doesn't, bring up charges on Nikki and he doesn't bring up charges on her family, which he easily could have done to sort of save his own career and save face. Um, but he doesn't do that. But, you know, I can't, I just can't like you lied. You lied to me. You lied about this huge thing in a moment of very like emotional nakedness and like missing him and, and not wanting to lose what they had, she does call him and, and he's like, you know, no. Or, or like he he doesn't even pick up his phone. I think she goes to voicemail. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I do very much see this as Nikki being held accountable. But as we said before, the show's full of very complex characters. A, a, a larger part of me feels like Nikki's been a victim of where she grew up and and who raised her and how she was raised and even her present marriage. And for me, having Ray forgive Nikki would have been a win for Nikki that I might have enjoyed seeing that narrative too. I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, constantly on the show, I feel like Bill always gets what he wants and his wives 
especially Nikki and Barb, settle for scraps in a major way. And I would have, I loved the fact that Nikki saw that someone could love her and she could be happy outside of the principal. And she, the fact that she never got to fully actualize that, it's bittersweet, even though I understand why Ray couldn't forgive her and it makes sense that he couldn't forgive her. I would have liked to see her have a have a real shot with him. That's fair. I guess I... I um, so let's talk a bit about um, the fourth, Anna. Season three is when um, Anna joins the family officially, like Anna and Bill get married. Mm-hmm. Um, um, after having premarital sex and and that fallout and Marjean getting it back together. And she joins the family in a very odd way, if you'll remember. Barb and Bill's moms um, are both there, and Anna is there, and they have a big old blowout because Barb's mother's like, well, he's going to have another wife. And then Lois is like, no, three is enough unless you're trying to go for seven. And he's like, I love this woman and I love this woman and I love that woman and I love her too. And he proposes to Anna in a way that feels very much like a rebellion to um, Barb's mother and his mother, at least in my mind. Like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove how much I love all four of these women. I'm going to propose to Anna right here. And she accepted the proposal right there. And the relationship was clusterfuck from start to finish. Sort of underscores the clusterfuckness of it from the beginning because they have this wedding in the backyard and immediately everybody has to leave (laughs) right after, right? So it's not even... Sarah like, showed up in her work uniform, you guys. Her fast food work restaurant <laughs> uniform. Anna doesn't even have a place to live. Marjean and Barb sort of fight over who's going to and sort of fight over if Anna's going to live with Barb or if Anna's, Anna's going to live with Marjean. To which Anna, Anna, to her credit, is like, no, I need my own shit. I need my own house. Because, like, I'm not about that life. You know, she says, oh, I even have my own savings. And Bill's like, oh, well, you're supposed to be contributing to this community plot of, and she's not having any of that. (laughs) Right. Now, to Barb's credit, Barge never tried to push Anna to live with her. Marjean, pushy, 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 pushy is her middle name when it comes to Anna, is like, you're going to live with me. You're going to live with me. And then Anna's like, okay, I guess. And then she goes and lies and tells Barbara, Anna said she wanted to live with me. And of course, all this pushiness and all these lies blow up in um, Margie's face because the family pushes Anna too far between her pushiness and Bill's demandingness that she just basically fall into line and become a good polygamist wife. It really backfires. And the final straw for Anna is when she sees the three wives fighting. Marge is fighting to be Anna's favorite. And simultaneously, she and Nikki are fighting because they feel threatened that Barb might prefer Anna to them. So when she sees this, she's like, I'm ripping this family apart. I gotta go. Deuces. Um, your man won't even give me my own house, nor will he let me stay in my own apartment right now because I got to live next to y'all. I want my own space. This is bananas, and I'm out. Let's talk a bit about um, since I guess we act like we should. Uh, yikes! This casino 
Native American plot thing that I hate so much. I think it's the, or I don't hate it so much, but um, it's definitely, I think, like, it's not the strongest the show has been. I don't know. Um, I didn't like the plot either, but I also liked the writing because I thought it was incredibly realistic of um, Bill's personal entitlement, white male entitlement, LDS entitlement in the state of Utah. Like, all these nails were being hit on the head, to my mind. So Bill decides, um, he had decided in previous seasons, but he... Um, to go into gaming via Weber Gaming, but now he wants to run this old cas- this casino, and the casino is on native land, and so he goes to Jerry, who is basically like one of the on the tribal council or the head of the tribal council. That doesn't go too well, but Marjane sweetens the deal. She charms Jerry's wife, who then talks Jerry and. It, and his son, um, Tommy, too. So Bill has a meeting with Jerry, who is the head of the tribal council, and it doesn't go very well. But then he has another meeting where he takes Marjean to sweeten the deal. And Jerry's wife is charmed by her and convinces Jerry and then um, his son, Tommy, to go into business with Bill. And the way she does this is, again, like really shitty, but very realistic in my mind as to what white people would do, especially when they deem themselves an oppressed class. She basically um, likens polygamous discrimination to racial discrimination of being a Native person, an Indigenous American person, which is bullshit dumb. on so many fucking levels. So I can't dumb. even... But it's it's the it's the whitest thing I've ever seen, and I've seen it before, which is why it didn't bother me. And I'm like, you know what? At least this conversation is honest. This is legit how this would go in real life. Like I couldn't have written it better. Like the layers of and of entitlement and all the false analogies and false equivalencies overfloweth. Um, <laughs> right. Um, um, Nikki gets on board partly because she's with whatever will keep the family secure and partly because she's still in the doghouse. We didn't mention this, but Ray, um, Bill did ask her to move out after all of this shit with Ray went down. But Margina is along with is goes along with it because I mean, she was raised Catholic, loosely Catholic at that. And she doesn't have the issue with gambling that LDS, both fundamentalist and traditional have a problem with. Barb is the one with the real problem with this casino but even Barb later, as always, Barb comes through, Barb supportive, Barb swallows her, her words and bites her tongue and is there to stand by her man when he needs her the most. It is very typical about how I think, or not how I think, just how white people are when it comes to race. I guess it just, it's annoying, I suppose, to see a show that is so specific and so nuanced about, I think, everything. Um, because I do think this show does take certain positions on on certain subjects. I do think, like I said, I think season three and season four and season five going onward, I think the show does absolutely like indict polygamy. I think it does um, indict Roman in the compound. I think it... It, it, it indicts Bill, uh, late, only later to absolve him, but we'll get to that. Um, so it just, 
it's annoying to then, I guess, consistently, you know, come to, I guess, this racial aspect, and then suddenly it feels that the show doesn't have one position or the other. Um, um, I think that's my my sort of disappointment. Um, particularly even going forward, there's an episode where uh, Kathy's twin sister and Marge will be on the couch, like casually watching this like blackface film, and it's it. But they're just watching it, and the show wants you to know that they're watching this old blackface film. I don't remember it. It looks like it's probably famous. I don't know the name of it, but um, the show wants you to know because the show will, the whole screen, the show will cut to the movie itself playing and it will fill up the whole screen, but it doesn't have, I don't think the show has anything in particular to say about any of it. So, so that's annoying. And it'll also play out um, with this Sarah uh, and this native baby thing, but you know, Mm -hmm. That's that's my contention. Sorry. Um, even that doesn't bother me because all the things you're talking about, the how complex the characters are, the nuance shown in so far as the LDS lifestyle and the polygamous lifestyle and all of that, all of these nuances are taken into account with white people. Like all these things are happening to, by and for white people. I've noticed that white people have a great capacity to see nuance. And to see intersections as well as 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 long as all of those intersections are at the the crossroads of white person. <laughs> um, and this is why I say that that white people's feelings and behaviors towards people of color are rooted in a fundamental lack of empathy not a lack of understanding because they can understand various concepts very well when they're rooted or based in whiteness. And I see this literally all the time in day-to-day life, make it black. And all of a sudden they have blinders on. Right. But that's not an excuse. Um, They're able to write these white characters is so nuanced that nuance and that care and that perspective has to be extended to characters of color as well um i'm not okay i think anymore of just being like oh well like you're white writers like you can't do any better like i sometimes i feel that excuse and i'll take that excuse for a gossip girl or for dawson's creek or for of Vampire Diaries where it's clear that there are all these other bigger problems in the narrative and all these other issues and it's clear that like they don't you know they can't even get their sort of basics straight but when the writing is at this level and at this quality that's an excuse that I don't take I don't take it one of the other subplots in season three is that one of Juniper Creek Frank's youngest son and Bill and Joey's half-brother, Frankie, gets thrown off the compound by Frank with Albie's authority, and he goes to Bill for help. So Frankie is the former third wife, current second wife, Nita's son. And um, Frank kicked him out because Frankie was kicked out because Frank accused him of kissing a young girl that a very prominent bishop in their community had his eye on. And I wish more time had been given to this storyline because Lost Boys of Polygamous Compounds 
is a very real issue to this day where older men who want new wives, younger wives, will kick out the younger boys who are in direct competition for these girls' affections or hand in marriage or whatever else. And so he's been kicked out and made homeless similar, well, the same as how Bill and Joey and um, Lois's younger brother, Eddie, were kicked out back in the day. He comes to Bill for help and it's it's just really, really sad. And we later see too that Frank feels threatened um, by Frankie's presence because he has a new wife. He married Kathy's twin sister, Jodine. So there's a lot going on there. Lois had constantly said that when boys are kicked off the compound, the situation is always hardest on the mother, which I felt is, and I still feel is a very selfish frame of mind because I'm pretty sure it's hardest on the person who was kicked out. But I think when she says that she's speaking to the helplessness that she felt and still feels when her sons were kicked out. Lois had three children, Bill, Joey, and their sister Maggie, who we learned in the first season had committed suicide because she was sealed off to the wrong, to a man that she didn't want to be with. So um, Lois lost a lot of children in one form or fashion, and now it's happening all over again to Frankie, and Bill is heated about it. Adelaide basically puts a hit on Albie, who's now living in the big house and has been ever since Roman was arrested. He meets a guy at a gas station, and the guy tries to kill him. Adelaide knows that he's gay and set this whole thing up. And he calls Nikki, accusing her of exposing his secrets, which is when we learn that Nikki's known all along that Albie is gay. But loyalty is this woman's middle name. <laughs> she's never told her sister wives. She's never told Bill. Not after all the things Albie and Roman has have done, she has never told this secret, which we know is a secret that could ruin him. He barely escapes a situation with his life. This is when we start to see, I think, we really get to see the Albie character shine. When we see him trying to explore these gay interactions, you know, these hookups. And we see how repressed he is and how stifling that is. And his character really, really grows. Definitely not in ways anyone would like, but we actually see an expansion on the Albie's character as something more than Roman's son and Roman's right hand. So season three will sort of end with Barb's sister's daughter is kidnapped the the her her adopted daughter she's kidnapped by the greens bill has to then get the child back with um bill like announcing to his family just like i think reiterating the importance of this church and then joey will like kill roman and that is sort of what takes us um out of season three and then bring us sort of like into season four Mm-hmm. As well as um, Nikki's daughter Carolyn coming coming from the compound to live with them to live with the family. So, what do we think of season three? Was it good, bad, or basic, Alex? I don't fuck with this Native American plot. I'm sorry. Like, I don't. I think that there's like a disservice that's done by not. Um, uh, I I like it really bugs me that Layla 
this girl that they hit that we see of all three seconds who then can't speak for herself and sort of runs away. And like, we have to sort of divine information from Tommy that she's an addict and she's struggling with addiction. And, and there's something about that, that really, really bugs, particularly when we can get all these um, side characters like Frankie and Rhonda who get to speak for themselves and Ray, like these, these other people who also don't have like huge parts, um, get to speak for themselves, get to be on screen. Like it, there's something that is not, there's something that is off about that, particularly like the callousness of which, like I think Layla's talked about doesn't sit right with me. So, um, and because like it is such a incredibly written show, um, I like that, that puts me on like a, a good minus definitely for me at least. Okay. Um, well, I thought season three was good. I didn't have a problem with the way the writing was on this show at all. Uh, well, not in this regard anyway. I do have some problems in season five, but I understand the hierarchy of like tribal councils and the fact that this show, like many shows, likes to demonize and stigmatize people with substance abuse problems with which Layla was. I would like I would like to know how actual natives feel about the portrayal on this show, but I thought the portrayal of of natives and and definitely the portrayal of white people's reactions to and behaviors towards natives was very good. Um, I liked all the subplots, especially the Ray, Ray and Nikki subplot, the Sarah's pregnancy subplot. I thought those were all really good. So season three gets a good from me. Let's jump into season four. Season four was their shortest season with only nine episodes. But again, they did what they had to do. They packed it in there. Why don't you jump in, Alex? What what happens in season four? Um, season four, like we said, it season three ended, I think, like one of the final shots is of... Um, Joey killing Roman. So um, season four picks up with this family, um, Free at Last, and oh, yikes, which even that title. But um, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> which is why I'm like, I don't trust this show when it comes to race. Um, but um, it picks up and, and, by the end, uh, Carolyn is is now living with the family, and and Roman is dead, and and we and I think by the end of the episode, they do find out that um, uh, Nikki finds out that that Roman is dead, uh, of which she's um, but that they've been like hiding the body, like or Adeline found Adelaide found the body, and she they've just been storing it like in the freezer, in the cellar. Um, and she calls Nikki, I think, to, to deal with it. Adeline has got to be one of the most repressed characters on this show, and that is saying a lot. The woman literally cannot express emotion if it were going to kill her. She calls Nikki over, and she's like, Nikki. Um, like, and she's very erratic. She's clearly very erratic and anxious in that moment. She's like, Nikki, I need to go down to the freezer and help me with something. And they have this big, um, underground walk-in freezer. 
And then Nikki's like, no, I'm not hungry. Don't cook anything. I got to go. And she's like, Nikki, help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Just help me, please. And But she doesn't. Why can't she just say, your, your father's body is down there, right? She can't even say these things because it's almost as if saying it will make it true. So Nikki sees how erratic she's acting and goes on in that freezer. And I'm thinking, girl, she's going to kill you down there in that freezer. Don't go in that freezer. Tell her to go in first. <laughs> but she goes down in the freezer and she sees the popsicle that is Roman Grant's <laughs> corpse. It's ridiculous. And why is Adeline hiding his body? Because Roman said he was going to live to be 108. So she can't let the people on the compound know that he couldn't predict his own death correctly and that he's dead. Better to let them think that he's missing. What in the blue fuck? <laughs> right. I'm not sure how long she thought she was going to keep keep that up. Right? Sis, what is he doing? <laughs> Um, the FBI comes for Roman. The wives tell the FBI they haven't seen him in weeks. Um, Albie becomes a lurker at a park, um, in like a more mainstream area, just watching other men with binoculars. And he's approached by another man whom he follows and is alluded to have hooked up with. And what are the chances? This dude, um, Dale is the new UEB trustee awkward and right he also has a wife and children he has boys and he has a wife and he has this very mainstream life he belongs to a group with a where a group of other gay men fighting their proclivities go um some like boys gay boys club called alignment which is supposed to help men de-homosexualize or something and basically if you still get urges and you still feel that you're gay, you're clearly not doing the steps right. It's some sort of whack version of AA for gay men that it's ridiculous. Right. It's like a re like a re-education gross for a lot of reasons. Um there's there's a there's a plot that I wish they would have never gone with, um, in terms of like Ben has this like rock band. They could have kept that. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> um, Me I too. Guess, I get that they needed to give Ben something to do, but Ben could have done something else. Bill decides that um, he wants to run for Senate, state Senate. Season four is, well, Bill and his wives running this campaign. Something about season four that I really like is that I think that with season four, the show really starts to come away from this idea of, well, not come away with, because I think it's always been under the surface, but the show really starts to um, present and and go forward with this idea that that Bill is just sort of becoming power hungry and power mad. In season four and in the beginnings in this of this Senate race is, is when we start to really, really see it. Um, I think the show really does start to indict Bill himself um, before. Um, Bill is a very complicated and messed up person within and of himself. But uh, I think season four is when the show really, I mean, goes hardcore on that um, position. Yeah, power hungry, I'll definitely agree to that. And it's interesting because every time people talked about Bill being the prophet, which is something that Lois brought up, 
Joey brought up and Nikki have, have brought up um, in different times, many times over the course of the series. He rejects the idea. We think that's Bill rejecting power, but it's not. It's him rejecting the compound. Bill absolutely does want power, and that's made very clear in season four. Um, even when that power comes at the possible destruction of his family, right? Because you're mainstream, polygamy is illegal, it is a misdemeanor to have spirit wives, quote-unquote. Um, and he wants this, despite what it'll mean for Nikki, um, and especially what, what it'll mean for Marge and Barb, who it would hurt the most. Right, particularly Marge, because this season is where Marge is really, really sort of gets in her her bag in terms of this jewelry business that she starts, um, I think at the end of season three, um, and is sort of full, like really going forward and in, in, in working in season four. Marge is selling jewelry and, and she is on this sort of QVC type network selling things. She's becoming very fairly successful. Um, she's she's flourishing actually um, because Marge is go- good at sales. She's good at talking to people. She's good at or making people feel that they have like an intimate connection with her. Um, and and we and she finally finds an outlet. I think for all those those wonderful skills that she has. Barb, who was constantly told that she couldn't pursue certain things for the good of the family, like work and an education, sees Marge flourishing. And we can see how that hurts her. We see it a lot in Nikki, whom when Bill brings up running for Senate, Marge is against it. And Nikki, rightfully, um, accuses her of not being for it because it could ruin her business. So Marge knows that she will be very deeply impacted by this. And Barb, too, um, to arguably an equal extent, I mean, it depends on what your priorities are. Um, if you understand the 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 need of religious people to have a religious community, then you see how badly this impacts Barb, because this is in this season when she's excommunicated. The LDS members of her old um, um, temple come to her home and they ask her point blank if she's engaging in polygamy and after hearing she is excommunicated going public with bill would only make matters worse for her barb feels lost she is searching she's having literal nightmares about being cast into outer darkness which is a fear that mormons have like either you're in the celestial kingdom with your family or you're cast into outer darkness And she is struggling, but there's really no one she can talk about this with because no one else was raised in a traditional LDS home like her. Like, they don't understand these fears that she's having. And Barb becomes very um, emotionally isolated from the family in this season. And we see the toll that it's taking on her as well. Right. She she's the main one that's in charge of you know, Bill's campaign, like Bill doesn't have a campaign manager, really. It's Barb. And Bill is just piling, 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 piling things on top of her. And she really starts to come apart at the edges, um, really becoming, becoming manic, not, not being able to sort of deal with everything. I want to speak on something else that happens in season four. So, also, in season four, uh, Anna reemerges 
Anna reemerges and Anna comes back and she lets Bill know that she's a go prego in its bills, but um, she needs help from the family with this other thing in that like she she has a new fiance, boyfriend, whatever, um, and they're having some immigration issues and needs help for him to stay in the country. And so Marge agrees to marry Anna's boyfriend so that he can he can stay in town and and Bill does not take it well. Yeah. Bill and Barb are out for dinner and they run into Anna. Um she doesn't show back up, which I think is significant because his name has been in all the newspapers right now, but she doesn't come back into his life. They run into her at the restaurant and they see that she's pregnant and she's super embarrassed because apparently she didn't want Bill to know about the pregnancy because of this fiance, Goran, who is hot as fuck, you guys. Best looking man this show's ever had, hands down. Um, <laughs> he wants to marry her even though she's pregnant with another man's child. And she just wants to live her best um, suburb, s- Serbian life with her hot Serbian fiance. Bill gets involved. She admits that the baby is his all this immigration stuff comes to light. And I think this is when we see, for me, one of the ugliest sides of Bill, who always told his wives that they were all equal in his eyes. When Marge marries Gorn, um, without the family consent or knowledge even, so that he can stay in the country, and therefore Anna, who doesn't have any immigration problems, will stay in the country with him, um, it's very clear that Bill is not for it. Although the idea of multiple wives makes perfect sense, multiple husbands, he's not down with that. And Gorn is ridiculously good-looking and younger and taller than him. And he basically challenges Gorn to some sort of dick-measuring contest via a tetherball game, of all things. <laughs> and that scene was so ridiculous to watch because Bill almost gave himself a heart attack playing this game of tetherball with Gorn. It's interesting to me the layers of hypocrisy, right, that we see in Bill when we're when we're having this conversation about Marjean having a paper spouse, which he said was nothing. He said a paper marriage is nothing versus her spiritual husband, Bill, who she's been sealed with, which is supposed to be everything. Right. He goes up about it. Um because he does say that he's like it's not nothing and and she says and he sort of reveals himself and just you know just the idea of marge being in this marriage and is so unacceptable to him um something that is interesting though is that i think in this sort of marge gorin on a situation, what like we'll see is that Marge was um because Marge will come to, you know, because she's Marge, gain feelings for Gorin. Yeah, Marge is somebody who would most likely flourish in a polyamorous relationship and then somehow got into a polygamist one. Mm, hate to see it. It's true though. <laughs> it's true though. It's um, so true. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest things, and that's what's so interesting. I think about that plot is like I think you come to realize that you're like, yeah, Marge would do super well in a polyamorous relationship because um, I think she, all of that attention being given to her, and then her, you know, giving all that attention to other people, I think is something that really works for her. 
not only in that, not only in the way that she, I think, was lacking when she was growing up, but also I think it just suits her personality. And and yet it 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 doesn't work out. She has to, she ends up cutting it off because she herself feels guilty that she's into Gorin, and then also because you know Bill is is not is not with it. Right, and that's what this all boils down to, right? Is Bill with it? Because Bill is cool with um, having his lives, his wives alive for him, which is a major crux of both Barb and Marjean's issues, right? That when they leave their home, they have to lie to everyone they meet. Right. Um, lie, and they're not getting emotionally what they need from Bill either, which also in Marjean's story presents itself again in season four with this, with this Ben kiss. Right. They're not getting their needs met. And large part of them not getting their needs met is because Bill steamrolls over what they want in regards to what he wants. The wise will literally tell him, like, Nikki can be very passive aggressive and not forthright with her needs and desires and expectations. But Barb and Marge, for the most part, will tell Bill, I don't like this, or I like this, or I need this, or I want this. And if Bill's not ready, willing, or able to give it to them, he'll just be like, no, sweetheart, you don't need that. You don't like that. You don't want that. Just trust me. Barb is raised to be a good Mormon wife, but even she has a hard time, you know, even if she can do the things that Bill wants, she has a hard time wrapping her head around why they should be done, right? Which is revealed when she basically exposed them to the journalists. And Marge... I don't think Marge gives a fuck about the Celestial Kingdom, if we're being really real. She loves Bill, but I think she would want the freedom, like Alex said, of polyamory and not being someone's fucking spiritual wife. Having her every move clocked and having to to constantly keep the family in mind with every little thing she does. And Bill will tell them over and over, I'm doing this for the family, I'm doing this for the family. But a lot of the things he does are for his own best interests, and this cannot be ignored. Yeah, and 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 so he he's not giving them what he needs emotionally. He's he's not present. So Marge has, I think, a big. She's having like a big um, showing or whatever at at her QVC job. It's some sort of important milestone for her, and nobody can go right. Ben, you know, they've been sort of t- teasing this Ben Margin thing for what for three whole seasons now, Ben shows up. Marge is so excited to see him. Marge is just excited that someone showed up. Marge, completely unprompted, totally of her own volition, kisses him, and it's like a pretty significant kiss, so much so that the people at the job clock it. By the time she's finished sort of presenting her little uh, jewelry stuff, they turn the cameras on Ben, thinking that Ben is her husband. Right. And it's yikes. But she she does it because she likes Ben, and obviously this Ben thing has been going on. But but yeah, he's he's present for her in there in the way that, that she needs, that, that Bill just isn't. Right. He can't, even if he had the time, he couldn't show up for her in that way because he cannot be her public husband on camera yet like he wanted to go public but they hadn't gone public yet so he couldn't have shown up for her even if he had the time to and even when bill has time to do things like 
he won't be like, oh, I have some time on my hands. Let me go see what wife number one, two or three are up to, or let me spend some time with my kids, right? We see some tender moments between Bill and Ben and Bill and Sarah, but for the most part, Bill doesn't really spend a lot of time with his kids. But Bill feels, and this takes me to my next point, um, Carolyn. Carolyn's living with the family now, and like with all his family members, Bill feels that he still has the right to make unilateral decisions. Carolyn's father, JJ, Nikki's ex, comes to see about his daughter and take her back with him. And Nikki's like, no, don't do this. He's trying to put her in the joy book, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And she's scared, right? And But the scene paints her as just being erratic. Um, but I think that's just how fear shows itself in Nikki because she's such an anxious person. And then Bill tells JJ, well, you can have your daughter on the weekends without even consulting Nikki about it. Right. I'm like, you're not her father. You're not her mother. Like, who is making these decisions? He just just because he's the, the, the kid's father doesn't mean he's a father like you, right? It's The show makes it very clear that Bill would not abuse his daughters or volunteer them for child marriage but that doesn't mean that every father is like you and sometimes bill is so willfully ignorant about other people that it's really annoying to watch and it's particularly upsetting because we had by now they know that nikki had been married off to jj when she was 16 um 16 too too young to, to be in a marriage and um, they know that Nikki begged Roman to get her out of it. So um, clearly, uh, and you know, seeing what we know, seeing what we see about Nikki, knowing what we know about Nikki, Nikki would not be the type of person to flippantly beg her father to be let out of a um, sealed, sealed union. So it's it's weird that there's no pause from Bill in sort of considering, well, if Nikki distrusts you so much and if all these things happened, there there's even though like you know, there's there's ca- there's a lot of cause to be very suspicious about JJ. Um and and have a lot of caution when it comes to JJ and and JJ seeing Carolyn and and Bill just, you know, ignores it. Right. And this is not even the first time he does this. We talked in the last episode about how he walked in on that room during Wayne's birthday party where Nikki was lying on the bed and Roman is sitting up against the headboard. And it's clear that there's something unsavory going on there. He never brings it up again. She told you that he and that the price for her freedom was leaving her child behind. Right. And and things like this that this sort of willful ignorance or Bill's insistence to not see these things, particularly in season three with the trial, Bill being so shocked about, you know, the joy book and being shocked that these 15, 14 year old girls are being married off to elders. Um, I think really is, is how the show really, really starts to indict Bill himself. Right. Like, so so one thing that happens in season four that I do want to talk about um, is Bill and his wives are still sort of in this investigation for, they're, they're just under investigation, and Ray is still the DA prosecuting the case, and Ray will send and turn over 
all the sort of evidence that was compiled about Bill and his family, Ray will turn it over to to Bill. Yeah, and he even says when when Nikki comes to see him that the case is closed. Like, he managed to get the case closed. So he didn't just, like, get rid of the evidence and ship it off to Bill. He closed the case and somehow convinced um, his superiors that there was nothing to see there. Um, which is significant because if he hadn't done that, there's no way that Bill could have been able to come out. And the reason I say this is because, but he does this not for Bill. He does this for Nikki. Ray did this for Nikki. Right. He does. He does do it for Nikki and, and he's moving away. It's significant because at this point, Nikki's still not really over Ray. She's still thinking about him. Granted, she's trying to repair, I guess, her relationship with Bill. She's trying to, to, I think, come around to Bill or, or trying to, I guess, recreate, you know, romantic feelings for Bill that she might not, not necessarily had had before. Yeah. Nikki goes to him um, and she says, thank you. And poor Ray, Ray's still not really having it with her, but it is, it is a great scene and it's a very, it's very illuminating um, because Nikki speaks on, Nikki just speaks on, I think something that we knew last season, but it's, it's great to see the show verbalize it in that, that was her first time like being in love with someone and and she does feel a lot for him and and it was real and and there is like a part of herself that she has unlocked there's another scene that that I find super fascinating and that you know Bill and Nikki sort of have this like quasi hotel date in order to I guess to work on on their relationship to observe it in contrast with the date that Nikki and Ray went out on because they do Nikki and Ray did go out on a date and also you just see Bill isn't shit. Ray and Nikki's date is like this is a scene and it's one of the sweetest things ever. Um, you know, they go out on this date, they're out in public at a restaurant and Ray sort of gives her like this like little gift and he gives it to her. Um, and the gift that Ray gives her is like this water bottle. And it's so sweet because uh, he's like, you know, I just saw that you drank a lot of water, but you didn't seem to like have a, like a lot of like a water bottle. And, you know, I thought this would be better than always getting up and going to the cooler all the time, which is um, super sweet in a way. And and I think speaks to his thoughtfulness and, and him really sort of seeing Nikki because um, Nikki's not a person who's seen very often. And then I think you compare it and contrast it in the season four date and Bill, you know, they're in, they're cooped up in this hotel room. They're not in public. And Bill also gives her like this little gift and it's like this, you know, negligee, which is like, it, and I think it just speaks to the fact that like, you know, Bill's been married to this woman for how long and he doesn't even, you know, know her. I mean, it's so not interesting, but like entitled him to think like, you know, like it's, it's so lame that Bill's first thought is always like, you, you want to fuck me. Like, you know, that's, that's where your heart's at. Right. And in, in his defense, that is a relationship he has with Marjean. Um, <laughs> no, but um, it's interesting to me because I'm a woman who really loves lingerie and negligee. Like I wear like, lingerie and and really cute negligees to bed and perfume to bed to sleep alone for me that's part of like pampering myself and self-care but i've always been repulsed 
at the idea of men getting women lingerie as gifts because that ain't a gift for me, motherfucker. That's a gift for you. <laughs> That's not a gift for me. You're not getting that shit for me. You're getting it. You're a man who gets a woman lingerie wants to see her in it, period. There's no getting around that. <laughs> Right. And, it's and that's exactly it's the, it's the it's it's the relationship equivalent of smile, honey, like you're doing it for your visual pleasure. Um, and that's exactly what it is. It's like he, you know, it, that's exactly what it is. It's it's even in their relationship when he's in, you know, this huge fallout that they had, um, you would think that, you know, you know, nobody can come. Uh, in between your relationship unless there were already cracks there, right? So clearly there had been something there that Bill had been ignoring or that he hadn't been seeing or something that he was not particularly attentive to. And instead of, you know, this date being of like, okay, like I really want to know you because apparently there's something, there's a vulnerability there. There's something that you, you've never been comfortable to share with me. Um, and I want to know it, he he immediately is like, well, if you fuck me, like, this will take away the problem. When that is right. so not the case. Right. And I think he's used to fucking problems away. Um, particularly, again, with Marjean, they have a very healthy sex life and she's got an even higher sex drive than Bill. Right. But like, and while he has good sex with Nikki and good sex with Barb, it's very clear that for both of them, that's not really where their head's at. Even when Barb is having this affair with Bill in season one, she does it because it makes her feel emotionally closer to him. It reminds her of the times in their marriage when she didn't have to share him, and that's why she's in it. But that's also what makes her feel so deeply guilty. It's not like Bill is such a stud that she just, like, she can't help it, and he makes her a nympho. That's not what that is about at all <laughs> right and even in bill and barb's affair you know they're talking on the f when they're you know done fucking in the hotel rooms they're they don't like immediately leave they're like sitting there and like chatting and, and being very intimate there's it's it's clearly something more he he likes he wants to keep his wives small in various ways we see it with how um he reacts to nikki trying to wear less and go out more um which he likes, but makes him feel a little bit threatened. We see how he reacts to Barb saying that she holds a priesthood and she wants to be an official priesthood holder in their family. We see how he reacts to Marjean's business growing. Um, there's a very great scene where Marjean is driving and Bill's in the car with her and she tells him about her monthly earnings and projected yearly earnings and tells him that she wants her own accountant, her own lawyer and money manager, and that she doesn't want her money all of her money put into the common pot anymore. And you can't convince me that this conversation didn't enter Bill's mind when he consistently tried to bully her and Barb into going public, that he didn't know how this would affect her business and how it would minimize her back down to the palatable wife that he had before. Right. Laura overhears I'll be telling Nikki that Dale touches his heart which is a last off for Laura who already suspected and knew she follows them she follows Albie and sees the apartment that he got for himself and Dale to be together she goes to see Dale's wife we never know what she says to Dale's wife but then Dale um hangs himself um later in this season completely destroying any goodness that was left in Albie, um, that died with him. And we see Albie become full-blown monster in his grief. 
Right. That Dale thing happening is is what is definitely the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, Girl, Albie. you know that you know that Dale was to Albie what Ray was to Nikki. If we're being he keeping was, it one hundred, no, absolutely no. I and I actually think that's once again. I think that's a it's a credit. It's a credit to the writing. But you know, uh, and it's interesting to see how they both deal with that. Granted, Ray did not kill himself, but I mean the fact that they both essentially leave. Ray leaves um, Dale leaves this world, um, which is different, but how they both react to it. You know, Nikki uses it as an opportunity to, I think, just grow and Albie, you know, completely unravels. Right. Um, It's interesting because, well, I always thought Nikki was a better person than Albie, which I think makes a difference. Um, Albie was already headed down this road prior to Dale and Dale forced him to shift gears, so to speak. So his desire for something new, something different, something better was really tied up into Dale. And that's why I really say like his morality died with Dale. Whereas with Nikki, I think she knows because of what he did that Ray is very much in love with her still, even if he doesn't want to be with her. And I think that can have a very different effect on that person, right? Um, She got some form of closure, which is more than what Albie got. And his relationship with Dale is starkly different in the sense that it was a gay relationship, which is something that he never really came to terms with before Dale. Imagine being a closeted man, having a relationship, being happy, and your lover leaving you in this such a traumatic way. How I feel like there's a part of Albie that feels like like this happened as a punishment for sin, which is a whole other element, right? But I absolutely feel like he felt that either he or Dale or both of them were being punished in Dale's suicide. And man, this really is so masterfully written because he completely gives up on the idea of something new, something better. We saw Albie blossoming, right? He has this really great conversation with Nikki where he's like, we're better people than our parents. Just because we were raised broken doesn't mean we have to be broken. Juxtapose that to when Dale dies, all of a sudden he's like, get away from me. You're a whore. You're a slut. And we see him being haunted by Roman's ghost. Right. This shit was wild, you guys. I felt so bad for Albie and simultaneously sick of his shit. <laughs> right. He, he and, and all of that is definitely, I think, what ends up making Albie a, a tragic figure. So, so, so how season four sort of ends up wrapping up is... Uh, you have built, there's, you know, this, there's this ongoing campaign and the campaign happens and, uh, they, they get all the way to election night and, you know, Anna has left and, and Nikki has, is sort of come into herself and, and Barb is not doing well. I, I, I think you definitely see Barb, you know, not checking out of this relationship, but, um, but she's unraveling. She's, but she is unraveling. Um, she, she's checking out, I think of this idea of being the perfect wife, I think. And I think she's, she's definitely checking out of this thing where 
her life and the things that she devotes all of her time to are only devoted to Bill, um, which we will see, I think, really, really coming in fruition in, in season five. And so it ends with Bill winning the state Senate seat and announcing that he is a polygamist and that Marjean, Nikki, and Barb are his wives. Right. And that scene was great because the wives are dressed in red, white, and blue. Barb in red, Nikki in white, and Marjean in blue, which is obviously very patriotic stance to take. And that's what he's trying to push. The polygamists are your all-American family. Nikki is the first wife he introduced who walks up there without hesitation. Marge walks up there with tears in her eyes. And Barb looked for a second like she wasn't even going to stand up. But she does it because it's Barb and she always comes through for the family. And for better or for worse, they've reached a point where they cannot turn back now. Um, But season four, good, bad, or basic? I want to say just for the fertility specialist, the Dr. Rocket plot line, which I thought was really well integrated. It was a little bit out there, but it was very good. Uh, Yeah, Sam, I'll give um, season four... um a good so season five uh which will be our final picks up and essentially bill is is definitely but more so nikki marge and barb are facing the backlash and the repercussions of his sort of big announcement of being a polygamist in on a national stage marge loses her job at the qvc network in in her jewelry business which is devastating for her and she should be devastated because I think it was, it was definitely like something that she had built on her own and was proud of and, and something she felt uh, a deep, she deeply identified with. Barb is, she's definitely looking for something else, looking for something else, looking for trying to reforge an identity for herself outside of not only her and Bill, but her and her sister wives as well. And I think we saw Barb grasping us at, at this independence as early as season two. Um, and having it stamped out either by herself or by Bill and the sister wives in some manner. And now she just won't let that fire be stamped out anymore. And that's the real big difference. We also see how it affects the children. Teeny has gone to live with Sarah and Scott who are now living in Portland, Oregon, to get away from the scandal. And Wayne, who we can only presume was kicked out of the Catholic school after this, is now in public school and is being bullied. Man, it's really, really bad. Albie goes to the desert, presumably to mourn, and returns home a complete savage. And that is how the season opens. I mean, I have my own problems with season five, and and I think, I mean, my my biggest problems, I think, will come at, like, the end of season five. Let's talk about this, about Barb sort of, like, wanting this priesthood thing. Yeah, so Barb feels that she has the priesthood, and she wants to become an official priesthood holder, which only happens to the laying of hands where one priesthood holder makes another person officially priesthood holder. Bill had actually done this for his son, Ben, at the end of season one. His 
you know, know nothing, uh, wet behind the ears, 16 year old son deserved the priesthood in his mind, but he couldn't give it to his strong, mature, considerate, long suffering wife because she's, because she has a vagina. And so no. <laughs> right. He's, Bill is like offended. I mean, he's, he's offended when, when Barb asks for it. He thinks that she's like making a mockery of their beliefs, but, um, it's it's very serious, and his sort of refusal to do it drives, like, a huge wedge between them. Right. And it's interesting because he actually does say that you're making a mockery, not even stopping to think about how she entered a monogamous marriage and that polygamy is a mockery of traditional LDS church and community values. The fundamentalists' um, beliefs in polygamy are like completely opposed to traditional LDS beliefs. And yet she entertained this enough to give him not just, to allow him not just one, but two more wives. But he couldn't even entertain the idea that she might have a divine wisdom or a connection to, um, you know, the Heavenly Father that wasn't through him. Right. And, and so Barb and and Bill get divorced legally. Um, granted, they do it so that um, Nikki and Bill can get married and then formally adopt Carolyn. But there is something, I think, I mean, I, I do think the divorce does drive the plot, but it also is definitely something that's significant that happens between, I think, the both of them. This getting divorced um, definitely definitely like shifts something between Bill and Barb. Right. There's actually a scene prior to the divorce where it opens with them making love. Um, and there is such a sadness about it. Like two people having breakup sex. Right. Barb is on some deep, like I do what I want to do. A uh, kitty cat, you know, irreplaceable like vibe, you know, she's drinking wine for the first time. Everybody gets, everyone's like, and everyone is shook when they see that. She's, she's drinking wine. She's taking salsa classes. She's, she's trying to, she's trying to do some, some shit for herself. Yeah. There's actually this really beautiful scene where like, you know, Barb starts taking these dance classes and she, like Nikki goes to the studio to see her and like, ask her like, why do you want these things? And maybe there's a part of me that wants these things too. And I'm just jealous that you're going after them, which I thought was a really vulnerable moment between Nikki and Barb and Barb teaches her how to waltz. And it's really beautiful. And she's appreciative of what Barb is doing. She knows what that Barb is doing this for her. But by this point, at the end of season four, actually Nikki has declared herself to be in love with Bill and we can see how this is driving her actions in season five, where she believes herself to be in love with this man. And it's interesting because a version of Nikki that's in love is much more territorial and probably wouldn't have worked in that marriage had she come into the marriage being in love. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. Um, we also pick up on the story of Adeline. In season four... JJ decided to punish Nikki the best way he knew how by asking Albie to marry Adeline. And it's interesting. So we learned that there are two different types of marriage in the polygamous sex. There's a marriage for eternity and for time. For eternity means that you are sealed for this person up to and through 
the celestial kingdom and for time means that your marriage is only valid here on earth he decides to let jj marry adeline for time so that she will still be with roman in the celestial kingdom and so they get married and one of the like the underpinnings of of season four was that he was working with this doctor to impregnate um women with um with the Walker women's eggs. He had been harvesting eggs from his sister, Wanda, from even his daughter, Carolyn, and had even attempted to impregnate um, um, Nikki with an egg that was fertilized with his sperm and one of Carolyn's eggs. And he had impregnated Adelaine with an, an one of Wanda's eggs fertilized with his sperm. And in season four, um, Adelaine set him and his wife, Melinda, on fire in the clinic and burn that shit to the ground. And so thank goodness that her son's a new prophet in, 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 in waiting. Right. She gets punished for this with like two weeks and like an underground hole, but she doesn't go to jail or anything, but because she's a good Mormon woman, she decides to keep taking the hormones that are allowing this old age pregnancy to continue, which is ridiculous. That's an incest baby. You're too old to be fucking pregnant. <laughs> Cut it out. Right. <laughs> right. Not only is it a geriatric pre- pregnancy, but like it's, it's an incest baby, which is why, which is, that's part of the big thing of like why they burn the place down. And I felt really bad for Adeline in this moment. She's such a complicated character. We also see Carolyn growing closer to Don's son, Gary who had thrown a brick in the, through the Hendrickson's window last season, retaliating against Bill in a way that Don is too good of a person to do. Don is truly one of like the best people on this show. Um, after Kathy and Jodine and Barb, I would say that Don is one of the best people. He's Bill's long-suffering best friend. He gets everything done. Um, and Bill is really takes that friendship for granted the way that he does his relationships with his wives. Right. I do. It does like, I, I think that's part of something, I guess, that comforts me about the Bill character is that like, at least he's shitty to like everybody in his life. It's not just like reserved for his wives. Like everybody gets to deal with like Bill Hendrickson's eternal selfishness. Um, oh yes. You're so right. Even his brother, Joey, right? Yeah. Like, right. Joey, Joey too. Like, you're selfish as fuck. And he's like, no, you guys are trying to drag me down. This is why when Ben left him, he ran off with Lois and Frank of all people and was having the time of his life with his grandparents until they got kidnapped. <laughs> until, right, until they got kidnapped. <laughs> so let's talk about very, very briefly about this sort of Carolyn and her like math teacher plot. So on one hand, I was thoroughly disgusted. This girl's 15 years old. You are her teacher. What the fuck? You predator. But also I see it as a very natural reaction to the trauma of Carolyn's adjustment to mainstream life, the trauma of losing her father, and moreover, no one else but her caring that her father is even dead and her mother seeing him as a monster and therefore not being able to share her innermost feelings with Nikki. I see it as almost a natural response that she would gravitate and develop inappropriate feelings for the one man in her life or the one person in her life who she feels really cares about her. That makes sense, but the adult acting on it is unforgivable and disgusting. 
Right. So Carolyn, um, Carolyn's new. She just got here. So I don't hardcore have a lot of feelings for her as a character. But something I do think that is super interesting about the Carolyn teacher plot is when it all sort of comes out and Nikki finds out and it all comes to a head. I love that Nikki, um, because Carolyn is, you know, she was also raised on the compound, so she just knows what she knows. And I love that Nikki is like, and and I think Nikki, something that we've always known as the audience, but Nikki herself verbalizes it for the first time. She goes, you know, and this isn't exact, but just um, I'm paraphrasing. She goes, you know, I just want you to have choices. I didn't have choices. I didn't have an op. I didn't have options. I want you to have options. I want you to have an education. I want you to have the life that I never got. And it's it's a beautiful scene. Um, Chloe Sevigny is, you know, marvelous and fin- is just so wonderful and marvelous in it. And it is extremely gratifying. Um, and this is, once again, testament to the writing, testament to these characters, testament to the show. It's extremely gratifying to see a character uh, as an audience member and a viewer to watch a character um, struggling with coming to a singular truth that we, the audience, have known since first season, and then seeing the actual character themselves verbalize it in the final season. Um, That's how you write, like, character arcs. That's how you write growth. It's it's so gratifying and satisfying, and it's it's wonderful to watch. Mm -hmm. And she wants better for her daughter. And that's why what Mr. Ivy did was hurtful to see it wasn't just disgusting it was hurtful because all this alone time he was spending with carolyn was in a manner facilitated by nikki she saw that her daughter was brilliant he told her that she was ahead of her class and she asked him to give her daughter one-on-one tutoring she trusted this man with her child and he didn't just violate her child he violated her trust right and and you know like she's like um Something that's alluded to in the series and then something that Nikki verbalizes is that, you know, girls on the compound don't go to school past a certain age. And Nikki herself did not get to go to school past a certain age. So education and, you know, having her daughter be valued for her mind and and something that I'm sure Nikki also knows within herself had she been educated or could have been educated in the way that Barb was probably would be a much more successful person, you know, trying to obtain that future for her daughter, thinking that she's facilitating something that is going to do something for her daughter that she never had and could never dream of is, is, is very ugly. Right. And she tells that to Mr. Ivy. She's like, she grew up on the compound. She reveals a lot of things to him in the hopes that he will understand how badly she wants a better future for his daughter, but he just takes advantage. We also learned something interesting about Marjean, that she was she was a high school dropout, and she's three credits short of a high school diploma. And I, I can't say that this is by anything other than choice, really, because she did not live in the environment that Nikki had to live in. But now that she's older, um, this season we find out 
that um or the prior season we found out that um is it this season this season that we found out that she lied about her age no i think it was season four Okay, season four, we found out she lied about her age. She got married at 16, was three credits shy of a high school diploma, this, that, and the third. Margie made a lot of fucking stupid choices as a teenager because that's what teenagers do. They make stupid decisions. <laughs> and as much as she wants to tell Nikki, I'm not like you, I wasn't abused, um, I made up my own mind, I knew what I wanted at, at 16, season five makes it clear that she didn't know what the fuck she wanted. She was doing stupid things because she was a teenage girl and she's regretting a lot of those decisions right now. Right. I think Marge got married when she was 16. I think it illuminates so much about her character and and it illuminates so many of her interactions and also illuminates just everything that's going on with her. Marge had a very tumultuous childhood. She was looking for security. I see the way the show tries to sort of put, I I mean, compare uh, Nikki and Marge because they're both sort of, they're both like not victims, but they're both making choices out of their circumstance. Marge is somebody who her mother was not present. She was neglectful. She's in and out of her life. So she leaves home and she's looking for security. So she finds that in in Bill and she seeks Bill specifically or like a man or a husband specifically because from her upbringing, that's, she knows her mother never had that. And that, and so in her mind, her and her mother were not secure because her mother could never have a husband or keep a family. So in her mind, she gets a husband, keeps a family so she can um, be secure. And, you know, now that she is growing older and, you know, she's in this marriage and learning new things, she realizes, no, this isn't it. The same, the same as Nikki, now that she's getting older and (laughs) realizing new things, she realizes this isn't it. Um, and, and that's what makes, uh, I think, that so interesting and those characters so interesting. It's interesting about the juxtaposition of Marge and Nikki for me as well, because as Nikki realizes how the way she was raised was fucked up, she doesn't condemn polygamy. She condemns Juniper Creek in the way that, and the other polygamous sex in the way that Bill does. Um, she condemns her upbringing. She condemns the secrecy. She condemns the lies. She condemns the misogyny. She condemns the, the lack of opportunity and access, the forced marriages, the child marriages, all that jazz. But Nikki was very much an adult when she married Bill. And it's significant that she married someone whom her father did not want her to marry. So, she was taking a lot of her own agency in so doing. I would say of all the wives, Nikki was the one who knew absolutely what she was getting herself into when she married Bill. And I think as time went on with both Barb and Marge, they didn't. And that's why we see them start to unravel so hard in this back half of this the, the show, right? As Nikki gets stronger and stronger and comes into her own more, these two are kind of floundering because, um, like you said, Marge just wanted a family. There's even a scene where she talks about how I would have done anything to get adopted. Um, and another scene where she she says she talked to her mom about Bill and her mom um, he suggested that she lie about her age and to keep her man. And, you know, Barb's father, um, the show tells us Barb's father left her mother and basically um, put a stain on her and her mom and her sister. And I believe that she was looking for, you know, 
a husband so that she could have a priesthood holder. All the wives are broken in one form or fashion. Marjean makes a mistake of thinking that her brokenness is somehow, you know, different or superior to Nikki's. But whereas Nikki realizes what she's gone through and it makes her stronger, Marge starts to really, really unravel. Watching her and Barb in seasons four and five is really, really difficult. Particularly like in the context of this whole like goji juice thing or whatever. Oh, she was grasping at straws. Like you, you ever seen in the movies where someone's hanging onto a cliff by their fingernails, trying not to fall? That is Marge trying to sell this goji juice and this little MLM scam. Right. Um, to the point where Bill. Oh my God, Bill. I hate Bill. So Bill is so useless. Um, <laughs> Bill is like goji juice is a cult. Which, sure, in a sense, but like also, um, it's wild listening to people in a cult talk about other shit being a cult. cult. <laughs> yeah, um, but also this is a cult, uh, and I guess credit to Bill. You know, he points out a scam because he himself is a scammer. <laughs> he knows when when he sees one because he is one. But um, that's scam life. Things are getting increasingly, I think, under under Albie. Also, just Bill being public about being a polygamist in the Senate is making things increasingly difficult. Something that comes to uh, a head, Bill proposing this idea and wanting to pass this law of this thing called safety net for uh, people who are trying to defect polygamist compounds. And and it's, it's welfare. That's what it is. Um, safety net. And, Something that the show sort of touches on in different characters and dialogue, but that they never really go deeper with, which I wished they would have, is um, it's very well known that like in these polygamist mainstream and compound, um, these polygamist marriages and, and places and stuff, is that like welfare fraud is what they do all day long. Um, mm-hmm. Medicare, like Medicare, Medicaid, uh EBT fraud is like they trade in that like that's what they do and the show never really goes into it which I wish they did because first of all it would be nice um to see I think to disrupt that narrative um and then also just to tell the truth um that like welfare is mostly abused by white people so we do meet a character in season five named bud and bill comes to bud for help and bud's like i'm not really interested in politics and then like bill's like you have eight wives and 27 children all living off welfare i think you're interested in the state (laughs) right and i mean and then and Rhonda will also like 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 they said they touch on it in different characters like Rhonda, there's a line that she says i think somewhere in season two it's a throw but it's a throwaway line she says something like I can trade you like five food stamps or something. Bill Bill is passing this thing in, in the in the Senate and and essentially it's really, really coming down on them to the point where but Bill is sort of doing this it's for Bill, he's saying he's it's all in service of bringing polygamy into the light and like legitimizing poly and like legis- legitimizing polygamy and connecting polygamist families. And the one thing that is sort of, the one thing that's sort of annoying about it is it starts to feel like the show is equating the struggles of marginalized people to these families, which 
is annoying to me. Yeah, like we're in the closet. We have they they're they're definitely hijacking LGBTQIA language L- language. Yes, <laughs> to to like and talking points to sell this narrative that these people are oppressed. Similar to and it it's it's different for me than when it, in season three when Marjean compares religion to race because that's just her being a whole white woman. But when the show frames the narrative that these people are just as persecuted and put upon as, you know, gay or lesbian or trans individuals, then you're taking the message that th- that by extension being queer is a choice. Right. And I don't fuck with it. That's 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 something that bothers me, I think, in season five, because they did it before slightly, I think, in, in, in earlier seasons. But season five, I think they just, I think they go all in on it, which is upsetting. I also want to talk about how, since we're talking about this, the show seems to really shit on its queer characters in a major way. We'll go to... As even even characters that we only meet once, like when Sarah's trying to get her baby adopted, she meets this family where the husband is openly gay but quote unquote working on it. He has same sex attraction, and his wife is helping him work on it. And he's clearly very fucked up and very repressed and trying to hide his identity and be a good Mormon. We see Albie, who is queer but also like truly a villain in in large part for the duration of the show. Um, we see Dale, who ends up taking his own life, and Laura, whose whose role in this is never exposed. Um, we see Selma, who is either a trans man or a non-binary person. Um, she is not killed or anything like that, but Hollis is um, taken away, or he, um, the, Hollis is taken away from her, and. Um, she is always very much portrayed as not someone being forced to do anything. She's very much on board with all of the horrible, cruel, sadistic, violent things that Hollis wants to do. Right. They really do hit on all of the sort of tropes. They they hit everyone in this show. Because there's like, you know, there's the barrier gaze trope and then there's the villainous gay trope that they that they hit as well. And that is concerning. Right. Even when Bill shows some a lot of pity for Dale, right? It's clear that he doesn't believe that what he's doing is right. And the show has a really great dialogue between Dale and his counselor at Alignment when he's talking about, listen, I did the conversion therapy at BYU. I've been in alignment for all these years. It's not working. And the show kind of makes it very clear that you cannot like think yourself or will yourself out of gayness. But it does treat gay characters like absolute shit um, to drive certain points. And in season five, we meet a character named Verlin, who is Rhonda's husband, who, as far as I can see, is definitely not gay, but also not above basically being used by Albie when he realizes that Albie is gay to try to get some money out of him to support his wife, Rhonda, and their daughter. The relationship between Albie and Verlin is really uncomfortable to watch, deeply exploitative. And I guess you can make an argument that the show is taking a position that there can be no harmony between religion and your identity as an LGBTQIA person. But I don't know that um, I like that or that I agree with that. Right. You know, I suppose you could say that 
Don's two wives who run off together um, is, you know, the one, the, the, the only sort of um, LGBTQ couple. But the fact that they're not shown on screen, I think you can't, yeah, the fact that we don't ever see them ever again or that they're not shown again on screen, I don't think you can make that, that argument. It, it, right. it, it makes it fall short. We only see those wives exactly once back in season one when we see them playing footsie under the table, which was clearly like a lead up to them leaving Dawn, right? We right. never see them again after they're invited to the house for that dinner and that card game. Verlin's death affected me in such a major way because Rhonda knew that Verlin loved her, but I don't think she, she didn't know how far he was going to support her and take care of her and the baby. And no one ever would. Like, there's no one that knows and is going to tell Verlin's story. I don't think he deserved to die that way. But shout out to Bryce from Claws. Um, right. He, do, he did that. Like, like he, he really did that. He's excellent. Um, everybody is so excellent. Even Lawrence O'Donnell. Um, Verlin, Verlin and Kathy's deaths still haunt me on this show. These people were done so dirty. <laughs> right. They Verlin and Kathy are very much, there are a lot of tragic figures on this show, but if they're, I, but if they're any, I guess, sort of like purely tragic or like perfect or the closest you can get to perfect victims, I suppose, um, it's definitely Kathy, Kathy and Verlin and, and Dale. Yeah. Bill is murdered by the most random person, the next door neighbor. It doesn't make any particular sense to me if uh, his name is Carl. Yes, Carl. Mm -hmm. Carl murders Bill. Um, Marjean's the next door neighbor who Marjean was friends with his wife. I think Carl killing Bill didn't make any particular sense. Um, if Carl was going to kill anybody, it would have been Marjean. Um, I agree. Um, because Marjean was the one that got his wife to go on with that uh, goji juice scam. But he, Carl, kills Bill, whatever. As Bill is dying, he sees, like, a vision of, um, of a vision of sort of, uh, but the church, like, in olden times and everyone's in, like, period clothing. Um, I assume, like, it's Joseph Smith era clothing. And he asks and there's a particular woman that he sees and then the vision is like gone for him and he's dying and, and he asks Barb to bless him as he's dying. The show, I'm not mad that the show kills Bill. I actually think Bill dying is very fitting. I, what I, what I don't like is that the show in, after the show kills Bill, he's then like, he's like, it's like, he's a martyr and it's like, and uh, it, the show frames it in a way that like he's a martyr and that Bill was the whole time this sort of like true prophet, uh, a true celestial like figure um, and all of the hardship and all of the sacrifices and all of the bad things that happened were worth it because he was like in some sense divine. 
yeah, um, I definitely feel that the show made Bill a martyr. Um, it's interesting that he literally could not wrap his head around Barb being a priesthood holder until he was dying, but whatever. He, and I agree that Carl shouldn't have been his murderer. I agree that Carl's, Carl killing Marjean or attempting to kill Marjean, maybe Bill intercepting the bullet would have made much more sense than him coming after Bill directly. If they wanted someone to come after Bill directly, it should have been Don or, and bear with me here, his brother, Joey. I think Joey would have made sense. Yeah. And Joey and Wanda were not seen or heard of in season five. Last time we see Joey was down in Mexico when he helped Bill get away from Bill and Ben and Frank and Lois get away from the Greens. The last time we see Wanda was when she warned Bill in season four about what Dr. Rocket was trying to do to Dr. Rocket and JJ were trying to do to Nikki. We don't see these characters anymore. This is where, for the first time, I feel like the writing is really sloppy and really lazy. Hell, they even take us back to the reservation and we see what's become of the casino since Bill and Barb were rightfully ousted. So you couldn't even follow up on Bill's immediate family. It really made no sense to me, but it's clear at that final episode that Barb becomes the leader of Bill's church. Um... Like, she becomes the head priesthood holder of their church. The church is changing. She has baptized her first grandson, um, Scott and Sarah's son named Bill. Marjean is living her best life. Hell, even other people who I think were much less deserving than, say, a Kathy or a Verlin or a Don got to live their best life. Albie's wife, Laura, leaves him this season. She goes through safety net. She cut ties with him. And baby girl is thriving. <laughs> okay. She's living her best life. Which she always would, because Laura was, like, the number two, essentially, before Albie, like, really lost it. And she's a nurse. She actually has a skill that's applicable in the real world. In the world, <laughs> right. Yeah, I just I just hate that the show takes this, 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 I, I hate that the show frames him as a martyr. I don't think it's deserved. I think by making that choice, they undo a lot of, like, what they... I think had already laid the groundwork for um, in previous seasons. The only thing that I really like is that once Bill dies, I think you see the three wives like really being happy. I think that's the only thing Girl, that I, I like. Was just getting there, I was like, all they needed for a happy marriage was to get rid of the husband all this time. All Who this not? time. <laughs> um, all this time. That's been the one thing standing between you and true harmony in your home. <laughs> Right. I, I think that's the only thing that I like that Nikki and Barb and Marjean have, are tr- have found their callings and they're very happy and they are okay. That's the, it's the only good thing about, about uh, Bill's passing. And then it's annoying that in the last frame or not the, not the completely last frame, but like one of the, I think it's probably the second to last frame is they're all there and they're all have found like the true love between each other. And Sarah has come home um, and they're like, Oh, we wish Bill could have been here. And then the camera pans to the left and Bill and we see Bill um, sitting in a chair, but he's out of focus. So it's his, you know, it's so supposed to be like his ghost, but he's, He's out of focus, but he is bathed in a sort of like golden, um, heavenly light. And I I just was like, no, (laughs) I rejected everything about that. 
I mean, a part of me was like, yes. And the reason why I say yes is because I come from religious background, even though I'm not religious anymore, but it's something that always makes me sad is the possibility that most, if not all of these religions are wrong and people fight so fervently for them. I would like everyone who believes in heaven to be able to get to their idea of what heaven is or what it should be. It would honestly hurt my little heart if someone fought as fervently for a belief or principle as Bill did and then like they end up dying and it's like, (laughs) newsflash, you were wrong, motherfucker. Down the hell you go. Um, (laughs) In that regard, I'm like, yay, I guess all of that shit you put your family through was worth something. Um, But it's clearly a move to martyr Bill. And um, like Alex said, the like the positive the plus side of that is that the wives have a much better relationship sarah even makes a comment to scott somewhere along the lines of um to uh, in regards to nikki i've never seen her like this before nikki is open in a way that she has never been when bill was there which goes back to my earlier point of knowing what the power dynamics are and having to share a man and sharing a man's attention and always keeping the stiff upper lip. She almost has a relationship with her sister wives now that's reminiscent of the vulnerability that she expressed in her relationship with Ray. Marjean is a real adult now. She's coming into her own. She's taking um, mission trips and things like that. And she's doing what she feels she can to make the world a better place, at least in her mind. Barb is a priesthood holder and she has a family that loves her and a church that respects her. Everybody's really blossomed since, um, Bill bit the dust and I'm here for it. (laughs) Right. I just don't like the show taking the position that, that Bill is like this martyr. Um, mostly because I think that, uh, Bill was not going down that path. Um, I think, like I said, I think it undoes what they, what they, I think it undoes writing that they had done previously. Um, honestly, like I think if, if Bill had lived, um, Bill becomes a more, I think if Bill had lived or in, in, you know, kept his Senate seat, Bill becomes like a more dangerous version of Roman. I think that's his, that's his destiny. In fact, like I, I see it. Um, and I think the show was starting to sort of lay that groundwork, particularly in season four when, in, in earlier in season five, when everybody's talking about being like the prophet and Bill sort of starting to think highly of himself, not necessarily, uh, at the compound, but as a prophet in a way, I think, I think that's where it was always headed. So, so it just bugs. That's all. No, I agree with that completely. I saw that happening. I think that would have been the inevitable end for Bill. I think my only other thing I would point out about this season that was good, besides the wife becoming the wives becoming closer, the death of Bill's mother, Lois, who developed dementia. And um, how in her final moments, Frank, her husband, euthanized her as she had requested and held her and comforted her in her final moments. Just like the one time Frank is actually there for anybody and did something kind for someone. But Lois's final moments were peaceful and happy and her life was surely never that. Um, So I think in Lois's death, I got like a death that I actually wanted to see. (laughs) Right, right. You know, other stuff that happens, Ben Ben and Heather are like a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. I don't care about it. Like... 
I mean, I mostly <laughs> don't want... I want Heather to find somebody better than Ben. Well, in that final episode, Ben and Heather are married, and I'm in complete agreement with Alex. Heather deserves better. Um, you already know that he's a little polygamist, too. He already said as much. I guess you can draw, like, a parallel, like, to Ben and Heather being, like, Bill and Barb when they first started out. But, yeah. That's exactly why I'm telling sis to get out, because Barb did not have a good life. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the last three seasons of Big Love Good bad and basic if you'd like to watch or relive this series big love is currently streaming on hbo amazon prime and on hulu with the hbo add-on big love is a show whose strongly polarizing premise could have meant certain failure but whose writing acting and plot pacing were so strong that they continue to resonate with audiences patrons if you haven't already be sure to check out the gbb big love spotify playlist join us next week when we'll be discussing abc family's hit family drama lincoln heights until then, our top two patrons can tune into another movie review. This time, Emma and I will be featuring the beloved animated classic, Kiki's Delivery Service, and discussing how this coming-of-age fantasy holds up 30 years after its initial release. If you're not on this tier yet, level up. The episode will go live this Saturday. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a comment or review. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter, and of course, follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our social media links. Mm-hmm.